All right, welcome to the next Ensign Services podcast. And uh, today we want to discuss what uh, Patrick Lencioni, it's an author that you'll hear us talk about quite a bit, uh, but what he calls the three signs of a miserable job. And I'm, I'm here with Barry Port, the COO of Ensign Services, who's going to uh, talk about some of these concepts with me. Barry, welcome. Good to have you here. Great. Thanks. Good to be here. So I can tell you seem really excited. <laughs> I love these, whatever we're doing that I've never done before. <laughs> Get your mouth off the microphone. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so so I, l- let me introduce this topic a little bit. I think one of the things that's really hard about the long-term care industry, and especially in a strong economy, is there's just not enough good people enough qualified people to fill all the job positions that are out there. I mean, we're, we're hungering for more people. And, and so it's essential in this environment that we really embrace the core value of customer second. But then here's the problem. Sometimes we don't really get how to embrace this core value. We, and so because we don't really know how to do it, we find ourselves quite literally overcompensating because we're driving up wages more and more, trying to convince people that it's worth it, essentially, to work with them or to work for them. In fact, anytime I see a competitor whose wages are out of line with the market, I have to wonder why they're forced to pay so much. Higher pay isn't ever really going to make an employee happier. It's just going to, I don't know, be a little bit more tolerable in their miserable job, right? So... This is a challenge I give to anybody. Next time you're at a party or any type of gathering, Barry, do you ever get invited to parties? I don't. No. Okay. So, so yeah, any, no. anybody else I'm not out sure there? Sure, what you're talking about. When you're when you're at a party or another gathering, ask someone about their work. If you spend an evening doing this, you'll likely hear countless stories confirming how many people are miserable at their jobs. Studies have found that a majority of people hate their jobs, which to me is really sad, to, you know, based on how much time you spend in your job. If you hate your job, you're less happy, you're less productive, you're less enthusiastic, you probably have a lower self-esteem. It, it, it all sounds pretty depressing. Basically, people who are miserable in their jobs are way less effective. But in some cases, they can say, well, at least I'm getting paid more in my miserable life. So... This begs the question that I want to get to in this podcast is what makes people miserable at work? And and multiple studies have been conducted by groups like Gallup and the Blanchard companies and, and, and so many others. They point out that the most important aspect of somebody liking their job is the employee's relationship with their direct manager. This matters more than pay, than benefits. It even matters more than work-life balance. The immediate supervisor has a huge effect. So in Lencioni, who who wrote this Three Signs of a Miserable Job, he points out that even employees who are well-paid, do interesting work, and have great autonomy cannot feel fulfilled at work if their managers fail to provide them with what they need on a daily or weekly basis. So let's talk about the three major signs that Lencioni points out will lead to a miserable work environment. And, and Barry, let's start by talking about sign number one, which he calls anonymity. Tell me what you think he means by anonymity and, and how do we counter it? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, that first and we jump right to anonymity because, I, you know, I, it's, as I think back to jobs I had before 
I joined Ensign Services was, um, you know, I, I think about all the different uh, things I struggled with and why I didn't really love things that I did, even though I felt like I should have been happy being in the job I did with the pay I did. And, and a lot of it had to do with what you mentioned before is, ha- is not having relationships, not just my boss, but people around me that I love and care about. These are just people that I was forced to work with and put in a situation where it was, uh, hey, hey, uh, you know, make this work. And, and, uh, and, and, the, and the environment wasn't fostered to, to create that, that sense of uh, camaraderie or, or kind of communal success. So, so, you know, one of the key metrics that Gallup tracks on employee satisfaction is they ask the question, do you have a friend at work? And that's, that's such an important question because I think most of us have joined um, an Insign affiliate because we see someone that we either respect greatly or someone we already had a previous relationship with that we're excited to work with. And that, 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 I think that's an important characteristic or a, a, a great place to even start when you get into a new role. I think the opposite can also be true. When, when people feel abandoned or that people aren't being forthright or honest with them, people can leave the organization in a bad way. Um, and it highlights something I've heard Christopher say over and over again uh, that, that always kind of rattles around in my brain. He said one of the he says one of the meanest things we can do for our partners is to hold back information that we know will help them improve. Mm. And and he said it's one of the most unfriendly, unkind, uncaring things we can do in the organization or anywhere in life for that matter. But it seems like we we think it's the opposite. We we feel like if we bring up these things that it's almost unkind People get offended, and uncaring right? or, or they're going to be offended. And you're saying yeah. the opposite of that the is true. The opposite is true. I mean, when we see our partners kind of you know lingering in this uh, you know, lack of success or or they just don't quite have all the feedback they need to make some changes or maybe we've given it to them but we're just letting them kind of wallow and and we think it's mean to tell them this may not be the right thing for you um you know there couldn't be a meaner thing to do than let someone kind of wallow in that and that and and what that leads to is you just you tend to feel like you're all alone and that's what this anonymity piece is all about. The minute you start feeling alone in your job, that there's really no one around you to support you or even give you really harsh and direct feedback, you're done. You want out, right? You may have a really high-paying job that you, know, you feel like you should be happy about, but you hate it for some reason and you can't figure that out. A lot of times it boils back down to this, this same principle. So, so are you saying if we are able to overcome this anonymity, then... Um, it helps us to be able to give that feedback to people as well that, that we are, we're able to have, honestly, more honest conversations with them as opposed to somebody that we don't know truly. Those conversations might sound harsh and cold and yeah. unfriendly. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, we all have hopes and dreams and fears, but, but we also know that those things are hard to achieve without help from people around us. Mm-hmm. Just thinking we can go through life or our career uh, by ourselves and achieve success independently is we all. I think we can all say that's a false notion, right? We we have to have feedback. Lencioni says this. He says people cannot be uh, fulfilled in their work if they are not known. All human beings need to be understood and appreciated for their unique qualities by someone in a position of authority. 
People who see themselves as invisible, generic, or anonymous cannot love their jobs no matter what what they are doing. Hmm. I've, I've seen countless examples of leaders who have been... Um, who lead the organization in the right way with their partners being transparent and accountable. And they continue to be fans of the organization because they at least felt like people were open with them and honest with them. Maybe maybe it wasn't the right job for them, but they continue to cheer the organization on because they felt like they were treated like a human being with those same hopes and fears so, and dreams. So how do you, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but how, how do you think we can overcome this anonymity or how do we you say it's great for them to have friendships at work and and how do you how do you get past this uh this wall of of anonymity that makes so many people miserable and any thoughts on that yeah i think it's it's the same principle that applies with the people you love at home right i mean you know when you're when your spouse does something that annoys you you tend to talk about it and you talk openly about <laughs> it and if you have a healthy marriage that that comes out sometimes in not the best ways, but it comes out, right? Or else you can't function in that relationship. Yeah. And I think we need to we need to remember that we are all humans. We're not objects. People know when they are abandoned. They feel it. Uh, what usually is the first sign of that is there's just quiet. There's this eerie quiet that surrounds them. They don't hear mm. feedback from anyone, and, and they sense that no one uh, cares, even though no one's directly saying it. And I think, you know, we, we, we need to approach this like, you know, what it frankly is. It's a family. We spend so much time with people at work. And if they are part of our work family, we need to care about people like their family. We need to get past that fear of thinking, hey, this is mean to tell someone something that I know will help them and realize the opposite is true, that when we say nothing, it really is the meanest thing we can do. So if all we so so we sh- if all we know about the person is what they do at work, then then we're probably failing in this aspect of anonymity. If if we know what their hobbies are and and what their kids are doing and and other things like that, we're we're kind of breaking down those barriers and and connecting with them like like we do as a family, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's all about you know time and attention. We we, we may not be best friends with people. Um, that we work with outside of work, we may, we may not even have the same interests and 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 necessarily hang out on the weekend. But 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 in spite of that, we can enjoy one another. We can learn to respect each other. We can appreciate one another for the strengths, for the for the different perspectives that we can offer one another, and we can find great joy in that uh, yeah. by getting to know each other on a on a different level. I, I think I'd point out too, we can't do that sitting behind a desk. No, right? We need yeah. we need to be out on the floor and and uh, really connecting with people. All right, so let's let's go on to the second uh, dysfunction. Uh, or this, excuse me, second dysfunction, the second sign of a miserable job. And, and that's what he calls irrelevancy. So, so talk to me about irrelevancy. Well, um, look, here's, I'll start by just saying what Lencioni says about that. He says, everyone needs to know that their job matters to someone without seeing a connection between the work and the satisfaction of another person or group of people. An employee simply will not find lasting fulfillment. Everyone has to feel like what they do is at least compete uh, is at least as compelling as as uh, the most important job in an operation. I think I think you know people tend to think that 
you know, to, to fight irrelevancy as a leader, you have to be charismatic and you have to be able to give great speeches and share great vision. And I don't think that's what um, the, the principle of irrelevancy is all about. Um, it, it's about caring. P you know, and this ties back to what we were talking about before with anonymity. People have to know that their boss cares about them right they truly care and that can't happen by just sitting again like you said behind a desk and hoping they start to feel differently because you're there as a leader sitting in that administrator desk or that DON desk they they have to see and feel that the people around them are invested in who they are as a human being and what that what they do in their role in that operation means something to the rest of everyone. So we have to connect those dots so that they see and feel that or else, you know, they, they can't find their place. I mean, they, they may have lots of talents and ability, but if they can't connect the dots between, you know, the confidence that their leader has in them and then how that then applies to their job, you tend to spin and go in circles and, and, it, and it makes for a, a really disappointing experience. Mm. You know, it's funny, as you were saying that, I, I, I'm thinking of an experience that I, I honestly hadn't ever thought of since high school. I, I, I played basketball in high school, and I, I changed teams from, and one role I had on my first team was much more of a scorer, and, and on a second team, I was uh, much more of a defensive specialist and didn't score very much, and I, I would get down on myself not seeing my role in, in our team's victories until my coach pointed out to me that a stop is as good as a score. And he, and he started showing me statistics of stops and, and started pointing out the relevancy of, of how I tied into the team's victories. And suddenly I had much more desire to work harder, to be better. I often wonder if our, our housekeepers, our, uh, our laundry workers, our, our CNAs get how important their job is, how relevant their job is to the overall performance of, of any operation. And if they can see that relevancy, what that does for them and getting them to step up and try harder and, and, and work harder and know how important uh, what they do is. It takes time and effort, right, uh, Clay? I mean, uh, your, your, your coach probably could see that you're struggling and he took the time I felt irrelevant well, to yeah. the team. He, yeah. he he took the time to try to help you connect those dots and see what you need to see and I think that's this is a principle we often take for granted because I I think we naturally hope these things just happen passively mm -hmm. but again it doesn't take a charismatic leader to take a few minutes to thoughtfully listen to an employee hear their concerns and try to help them overcome them um, it, it it doesn't take as much time as we think it does to rally behind uh, new leaders that come into whether it be one of our operations or into a cluster and help them understand here's what accountability looks like here here's how your job impacts the whole here's mm -hmm. why it's so important here's how to come prepared to a cluster partner here's how to come prepared to a cluster meeting and I, right? and I like that you're you're showing metrics in this too because I, I think I always sort of felt like I was fulfilling with this relevancy by just telling my people, hey, I hope you know how important your job is. Okay, that's great. 
but now that you're showing them, look at how census has grown, look at our survey results, look at financial performance, when you're actually showing them metrics and pointing out their relevancy in accordance with those metrics, that's that's sort of an epiphany I've had as you've been talking, that it's a lot more than, hey, you're so important, you're doing such a great job, thank you, yeah. you're in so important to this operation. It's, let me show you why, let me take the time to show you how. Yeah. I think there's also another false notion to Clay that, that you know, we, we think people will feel valued and, and relevant automatically if we give them some sort of a bonus or compensation, right? right? And, yeah. and and I, I, I think that matters. You, you said this in the, in, the, um, in the reference you made to Gallup earlier is that, you know, our, nothing can substitute, money can't substitute for our direct involvement in their lives and, and, and in how what they do connects with the rest of their team and, and, and what the goals of the organization are. If they can't see that and feel it, you, you might think, well, if I just give them a bonus, they'll stick around, and, and we know that they won't for yeah, long. Yeah, that, that's our overcompensate. It's when we're failing in these other things that we have to go to, okay, well, maybe if I just pay them more, they'll be more willing to be miserable with me yeah. <laughs> than anywhere else. And we need to fix that. Or that I'll reward them for some sacrifice instead of measurable results, right? Which is, yeah. which is even more dangerous, right? When we're rewarding That's for effort point. instead of results, it, 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 it actually compounds things even further. We're, we're, we're buying love, we're buying <laughs> loyalty instead of showing them how they can achieve what they need to achieve so that we can all get better together. I try to make that work with my kids, but uh, I try to sometimes buy their love. Buy their love with the They might allowance. even be willing to act like it works. <laughs> uh, so, all right, let's 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 talk about this third sign, immeasurement. And it's, it's a made-up word that he points out. But Lencioni said this. He said, employees need to be able to gauge their progress and level of contribution for themselves. They cannot be fulfilled in their work if their success depends on the opinions or whims of another person, no matter how benevolent that person may be. Without a, without a tangible means for assessing success or failure, motivation eventually deteriorates as people see themselves as unable to control their fate. I, I love this, you know, in, in part of my career for about seven years, I was a teacher and some teachers say, well, my reward is just the love or an appreciation of, of my students. I found that really the best teachers also needed some sort of metrics mm -hmm. to drive them yeah. and, to, and to, to be measured. So do you think this is true? And, and, and talk to me about a measurement. So, so this, is, this, is, this is my favorite uh, principle of the three. Uh, because really, this takes the, the whole concept of being irrelevant and and giving some meat to it, right? The, providing a scoreboard or measurement is the most important thing I think we can do as, as a leader. We we are the scorekeepers for the organization, right? Do you have examples of yeah, scoreboards? Uh, there's that, some, that... Yeah, there's some great ones out there. I mean, you think of a leader like uh, Jason Postle at North Mountain Medical, who's developed this idea of department BHAGs. He takes his executives in, uh, in his, his operation. They all establish uh, BHAGs that are vetted out by one another, that are, and then they, they put some, you know, some pretty objective measurement behind that and they go after it and, and there's a celebration when they achieve those BHAGs, a big one, a substantial one. I, I think of a leader like Rick Forscutt who 
is really good at this daily reporting by the department heads. He puts ownership in their hands hmm. for knowing, tracking, and controlling. So he's not reporting all of their expenses. to them. They're no, reporting they're reporting to each other. To each and other, not to him. Right. They're reporting to each other, and they hold themselves vigorously accountable to those metrics. And then I think of a kind of a third example is Rob Reese, who does these financial Fridays with his department heads. They all get together. He he spends the time putting you know the graphs and the and the metrics together so they can see not only how they're doing but trend it out so he can see they can see how their you know their sister facilities are doing and even sometimes competitors are doing so they can so his track job their is success. just the scoreboard operator to the, show exactly. them the score he shows them the score and then they spend time debating and almost you know fighting with one another about what they need to do to fix things and and it creates this really healthy sense of ownership where people, they understand, I'm, I'm not just here to collect a check. I, I'm responsible to own this part of the operation. And they treat it like it's their own business. They're all aware of what success looks like because these leaders lay it out in a way. They provide the scoreboard so they can see and benchmark themselves, not only against themselves, but others. Flag it's, trackers it's and BHAG and, and yeah, so many others where you just show the scoreboard and people see it. And, and we're just naturally scorekeepers. We like to get higher scores. <laughs> what gets measured gets done. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, there's magic around that. We say it, but I think we take it for granted. When you can actually help people see their progress in a really easy, meaningful way, people get crazy about that. They want to go after it. <laughs> you say there's magic. That that makes something pop into my head. I, I was reading about uh, uh, Disney and, and what they do is, is in the employee break room is they put the customer feedback scores, their net promoter scores in the break room and they just show the score. The employees see the score before they go out on stage and their whole goal is, hey, we want to get this score up. We want people to see the customer service feedback, uh, the, the, the scores that we get. We want to see those go up. And so they're looking for better ways. And it's not Disney saying, this is how you're going to increase your score. They're just showing him the score. Yeah. And, and then they're finding better ways to, to kind of uh, increase that score. And Well, I, th I think what it is, too, is... When we provide that out there, they see they see an inherent belief we have in them that hey, I we trust you to have access to this information. A lot of companies hide this stuff, right? They don't think their employees are capable enough to see and own stuff like this. This has to be done by a more competent person than yeah, somebody with it, a title. Someone with a title, and so they, they they naturally keep a lot of these things out of people's hands. They don't necessarily want them to know. They feel uneasy about people knowing how the whole organization is doing. So they, if they let them see something, it's just a little snippet. I think I think the most powerful impact we can make as leaders is kind of throwing that whole notion out and letting everyone see everything. There's a, certainly there are limits to that, but there there is no harm at all in letting people see the bigger picture and then own their piece of it. Because when they do, they will do amazing things to make the, the, the needle move. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. I, so as, as w any final thoughts on, on anonymity, irrelevancy, immeasurement, these, these three signs of a miserable job that if, if we can just get better at this, yes, we still need to be competitive in our pay and our benefits and other things like that, but if we can get better at this with customer service, 
we're actually going to have happier employees. Any any final yeah, thoughts look, for us on that? Yeah, look, you say Barry? something a lot in some of your trainings. You, you you talk about the mentality of being an owner versus a renter, right? Mm-hmm. And and when 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 you do have your name on the title and you own that thing, you tend to treat it differently, whether it's a car or a house or whatever it is. And I think, you know, the, the principles that Lencioni lays out are, are principles that, you know, our very best leaders are, are effective at empowering their employees, right? And, and, and first, you have to get to know them. You have to make sure that there's a connection there. I mean, we have to spend time and effort not only you know, getting to know people on a personal level, but then helping them connect the dots between how important their job is to the overall results. But beyond that, all we really have to do is show them the path, right? And, and that's often done by very simple means. Let them see, let them see the numbers, let them mm-hmm. see the impact they can make. When we do that, I think people naturally want to own. Most people want to own rather than rent. And when we let them do that, and we, and we try to reinforce these things in our behavior as leaders, I, again, I think that's the, it's the power of what the Ensign you know, story is all about, where you have all these different affiliate entities doing this again and again and again. They understand the principle of, you know, our successful leaders understand these principles of letting leaders spread their wings and go after something without feeling like we've got to babysit their every move. People are capable. Love it. Thank you, Barry. Thank you.